Welcome to the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. Today's guest is somebody absolutely spectacular, Mr. Mike Pell. He is the head of the Microsoft Garage and the author of Age of Smart Information, a new book about how artificial intelligence and spatial computing will transform the way we communicate forever. Find the latest on Mike at futuristic.com and excerpts from his new book at theageofsmartinformation.com. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alan. My pleasure to be here. It's so exciting. I I was gifted your book actually uh, by a good friend of mine, John Bazell, and uh, you know we had a we had lunch, and he's oh you haven't read this book, and you know he I guess he sent it to me on Amazon. I got it the next day, and I've been just voraciously reading this book since I'm, I'm about halfway through. But man, your book is has really opened my eyes to how everything around us will will not only you know have the the data available but it'll be in context to our personal needs and it's really incredible so how did you you know just kind of walk us through your journey of how you went from in you know inventing pdfs to you know writing books on smart information it's a long story but i'll, I'll try to keep it really short uh you're right a lot of this did sort of form when i was back uh, in the early 90s when i was working on acrobat with some of my friends at adobe back then when we were working on the very first electronic documents for interchange it's very apparent that people were not going to enjoy reading these things you know like sitting upright and you know uh, being uncomfortable you really needed some hardware and software that didn't exist at that point to enjoy um, the information, right? To enjoy whether it was a book or documents or reports, whatever it is you were reading. And so at that time, I started to think a lot about how the information itself, you know, the thing that we were reading was so um, dead and lifeless. I guess it was amazing that you could now transfer it to other places and people around the world could see exactly what you were trying to say. But the thoughts about how there was always more to it started to percolate back then. And over my career, I've always had the good fortune of working on the leading edge of technology. So I was very early into 3D and interactive graphics and visualization. And I started to do a lot of experiments with bringing um, information to life. I've always been fascinated with communications, you know, helping people communicate as clearly as they can. And so that was really the start of a lot of this was trying to see what we can do to help people be able to understand and communicate better by using the information, you know, the things that we create every day, whether that's um, tweets or emails or, you know, books or movies or, you know, music, doesn't matter. Whatever the medium is that you're communicating in, there's always so much more that can be brought out that we as people understand inherently, but yet are never reflected in that final form that that piece of communication comes in. So that, that's where we started. So let's unpack that. So, you know, I'm reading a PDF then you guys probably added, you know, the ability to have hyperlinks. And then, you know, what, what else can you add? So now you're looking at, okay, what does the world look like when the computers are no longer bound by the 16 by 9 rectangular shape? Yeah, exactly. That, that was part of that original thought is that, you know, you need to be able to enjoy or, you know, absorb whatever it is or create whatever it is in the current context of what you're doing. And so, you know, lots of people have worked on this problem, but now we're getting to the point where it's getting easier. It's getting easier for us to understand what you're doing right now, where you are, what the situation calls for. And then having that information, you know, whatever it is, that artifact is that you're looking at or, or creating, having that reflect the best way for you to absorb or communicate in your current context. And that means that 
everything, all these objects that, that we create and consume will be very uh, flexible in the way that they can present themselves, depending on, you know, if you're walking down the street with an earbud in, you'll be getting your information audio. If you're um, in your home and you have a large screen available, maybe it'll be presented or projected uh, based on that. If you're in the office or at school and you have access to laptops or other people's um, you know, mobile devices, being able to share things on that. So the information itself is the one that's going to become more smart. You know, people will have to do less work to be able to consume, uh, and, and the computers and the systems that we create will be doing more of the work to help us get the best information in the right way. You know, I read a quote yesterday, and it was, uh, it's no longer about what you know, because everybody has access to Google, and Google has knows everything. So it's no longer about what you know, it's how you use that knowledge to create new and novel things. And I thought that was interesting. And one of the quotes from your book, I, I'm going to read a bunch of quotes from your book because it's, it's, I think people need to hear this stuff. In the not too distant future, our most frequent interactions and conversations may well be with our devices and information rather than real people. Oh, wait, that already happened. That quote there just stuck with me because I was thinking, oh my God, how much time do we spend looking at our phones? You know, and I look at my teenage daughter, she's 15. She'll be sitting with a group of her friends and they're all together, all on their phones. <laughs> yeah, I've observed that a few times myself. Well, you know, the interesting thing too is um, people are starting to get more comfortable talking to devices, especially in public places. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've I've seen people talk to Siri or, you know, ask Alexa for something. And they're just getting more and more comfortable having conversational exchanges, you know, with pieces of hardware and software. And, and that's, you know, like kind of a big leap over where we were. People even talk to the remotes now, right? Like if you have uh, Comcast Xfinity, they have their remote, you know, that will do all of the finding your favorite shows just by talking to it. That's become so easy for some people that it's just natural now. Uh, for that to extend into what we do in the enterprise and certainly in school, being able to be more conversational with our information, right, with the, the things that we are working with the most. I, I got a, when I was at CES this year, I got to try um, uh, Copen. They make, uh, they make glass, you know, glasses and stuff for, uh, they make the actual hardware for smart glasses. And one of the things that they had was this thing called Whisper something technology. And it had microphones built into the glasses that allowed me to command the glasses to do whatever I wanted. I could ask them questions or whatever. But the great thing was that the person standing right in front of me was saying the same commands and it wasn't triggering it. And so being able to whisper commands because, you know, not everybody wants to sit on the, on the train into work and, you know, be yelling at their glasses. So I think, you know, my wife and I have the thing where you see people walking down the street, are they, are they crazy or are they on the phone? You know, do they have an earbud in or are they just talking to themselves? So it's one of those things where mm -hmm. we still haven't really figured out what the interactions are going to be. Is it, you know, am I going to look at something and wink or am I going to wave my hand or am I going to talk to it? Obviously, speech is going to be a big part of it and it's probably going to be all these things. How do you think we're going to interact with the technology as we move into glasses? Yeah, well, so glasses won't be the only thing that we're interacting with because you just touched on it uh, very well, whether it's your mobile device or your laptop or desktop at work or school, you know, or your Xbox or, you know, Alexa, whatever you have at home. We're going to have to be able as designers, right, as experienced designers, we have to do a better job of figuring out how to let you have those conversations when they're appropriate and when they're uh, needed 
with a device without uh, making it feel strange. Like you were just saying, you know, someone walking down the street talking to themselves. Well, hard to avoid that because there's not someone walking next to them, right? Like, of course, they're going to look a little strange. But in the office, if you work in, a, in an open space like many of us do, we have conversations all the time, right? You may be sitting at your desk and sort of shouting across the room or, you know, talking to someone sitting next to you. That's all considered very natural, but it's because uh, there's a there's a person, right? There's sort of an entity that you're conversing with. And in the same way, the agents that we have today, the, the series and Cortanos and Alexas, those will become um, more personified, right? You know, sort of embodied AIs that will feel like you are talking more to something that has the characteristics of a person. So it won't be so strange even for people around you because of the, the conversation, the back and forth and the interaction with those agents will feel more natural. It's, it's getting interesting how the conversations with Siri and Alexa and, you know, and Google home, they're just, we're, I don't know. I don't know if we're learning how to, how to ask the right questions or it's getting smarter and knowing what we actually mean or a little bit of both. And, you know, you, you have this part of the book where you talk about engineering clarity and, you know, quantifying the science of how to synthesize the moment of clarity is our quest now. And, uh, you know, maybe can you unpack that a bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'll go back to what you just mentioned. We're still sort of in the uncanny valley of conversational UI, right? There's still something a bit strained and a bit unnatural about it, but, you know, we will cross that very quickly. But in the, you know, getting to clarity, that's one of the things that's fascinated me for a very long time is, you know, so as someone who does a lot of talks and I, I talk to people all the time, being clear is sort of an art, right? There's not a lot of science to it. Like, yes, you can prepare slides in a particular way. You can get your talking points down, a, you know, a very um, articulate and in proper order. But there is still something a bit intangible about getting somebody to that that aha moment, right? That That moment of clarity. And there is no reason with all of the things that we have at our disposal right now, machine learning, reinforcement learning, um, all of the, the presentation technologies involved with XR, there's no reason why we can't apply a lot of our engineering talent and time to figuring out what is it exactly that gets somebody to that moment of understanding. You know, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not voodoo, right? It's not like this, this black art. Um, there is a way to do it. And with so much work and brain science going on, coupled with uh, AI and XR, we will be able to actually get you there faster, which has huge implications for education, certainly, and um, enterprise communication. Well, you you spoke the right language for me. I, my mission in life is to inspire and educate future leaders to think and act in a socially, economically, and environmentally sustainable way. And I believe truly that we can completely democratize education, give everybody the best possible uh, education by my my goal is by 2037. I just picked a random date in the future. Um, <laughs> well, I figured you know it's going to take 15 years for us to figure out all the tech, and then another two years to scale it. But if you think about you know, and let's say in five years we wear glasses, and all the processing power is moving to the cloud. I just did an interview with the head of XR for uh, for Verizon, and they're building systems that will allow cloud edge computing that are real-time edge computing, meaning I no longer have to have any computing power on my phone or device or glasses. I can push it all into the cloud, and as long as I'm within a 5G radius, 
I have the world's most powerful computers working for me real time. You know, that will unlock uh, education and training and, and learning at a whole different level. And then when you apply specific algorithms around uh, personalization and contextualization of that data as needed at real time, but also delivering more of that. So, you know, Netflix delivers content uh, as I watch more movies, but we don't do that for education at all. And our education systems, they're not really set up to take advantage of exponential technologies. In fact, they're set up to, to not take advantage of any of those technologies. And over the years, it took 20 years to get computers in schools. We don't have 20 years to wait anymore as these technologies start to move. You know, in the next 10 years, majority of jobs that will be created don't exist yet. And we don't know how to start training people for jobs that don't exist yet. So being able to give education mm -hmm. at scale at the time of need and hyper contextualized is very important. And you know, what you're talking about here is figuring out that, that interaction between us and the devices that is natural and simplifies our life rather than complicates it. Yeah, that's precisely why uh, we started an experiment here in the Microsoft Garage, working in conjunction with uh, Dr. Fabio Zambetta of RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. I had this idea uh, based on some of the work in the book and based on uh, Fabio's work with reinforcement learning of creating what we're calling the adaptive textbook. It's an experiment in figuring out how we can actually make what you described, that hyper-contextualized uh, textbook or way of learning you know, that adapts itself to the way that the person learns, the right you know, um, message or in the right medium for the situation, and also their history of you know, what's worked for them and what hasn't. So it's been a very successful partnership. It's super fascinating um, to work on this because it, it's going for what you described. How can we be the best we can for students? Like, How can we present the information in the best way for them to be able to make sense of it and be able to build on that? It's a big undertaking, right? You know, but as these technologies start to, and I think it's going to start, you know, and you're probably already seeing it, it's starting an enterprise. All the big companies are starting to go, oh, okay, well, we'll experiment with it. Oh, the experiments yielded 100% better results. Amazing. Okay, well, let's, you know, let's move it forward. And so you know, I think personally, it's going to be this road to development using enterprise as the, as the guinea pig, I guess, would be the, the easiest way to describe it. Well, how do you see kind of schools adopting this this new adaptive textbook? Well, right now it's just an experiment, but the ideas are out there and certainly teachers are, are grasping onto this notion that virtual reality is a great boon to immersing kids in particular things, whether it's physics or being able to study you know, uh, things about the ocean. There's lots of applications for that. Augmented reality is being used in different ways. You know, being able to actually, um, you know, be able to put more than what's on the surface level. And that's sort of where I dug in as far as education and the enterprise. I tried to sort of take it a step further and say, you know what, it's not enough to augment a physical object or something digital that already exists. Let's actually inject some intelligence and presentation capability into those digital artifacts themselves and see how that can actually help propel all this forward. So that's sort of where I laid out a roadmap in the book of how this will work, where it will go, and education and the enterprise itself will be uh, the headpins for this because there's just such fantastic applications for it. It's so obvious to everyone um, how this can help people immediately. And that's probably why you're seeing a lot of the big wins 
in the enterprise coming in the training space because you can take something that's been difficult and costly and really make it not only better, but super successful for those people. What are some of the use cases that you're seeing uh, that are starting to be used, not just experimentally? Because I, I think that's one of the, the problems with this technology is people, companies will jump in, they'll do a POC, they'll do a pilot, and then it gets stuck between that pilot phase and then rolling it out at scale because you know change is difficult. and. Where are you seeing these things moving forward in a real measurable way? Yeah, yeah. I always like to say, uh, you know, change is good unless it's bad, right? Um, yeah, there, there's some really great applications that we're seeing in the enterprise. Certainly, if you look at the Microsoft Dynamics uh, line of you know, mixed reality products that we brought out, being able to do first-line worker assistance, right? Having someone be able to help you with a task, you know, or be able to guide you through something is a super um, interesting, valuable, and you know something that's not going to go away, right? You know, being able to have a whole lens on and interact with people, get to the documentation or training that you need on the spot, is something that you know we've all known would come along eventually, and now actually exists, and we're doing quite well with that. Same thing with laying out and moving equipment within uh, manufacturing or, or factory floors, you know, being able to use all the power of mixed reality to place objects, scale them, align them. You know, make sure that uh, construction projects are, are going on the pace that they should be going. Those are the applications that are really paying out in the short term. I think so. I think the next phase of this is, and you, you touch on it in the book, allowing people to author content. I have this kind of mantra that you can be a consumer of content, which we all are, and you can also be a creator of content, which I think more and more people are, you know, with things like TikTok and Instagram and people have become a lot more creative. They're, they're starting to uh, make things and author things and being able to create tools that allow anybody to make AR or VR simply, I think will unlock the true potential of it. One of the things you mentioned in the book is authoring content will be hugely affected by an injection of services and platforms to create smart information containers that are capable of housing multiple representations of the same information in a multitude of forms. Whether you're wearing a HoloLens or you're wearing a Bose AR glasses, you've got a smartphone, a computer screen, there's so many ways to consume content. How do we make it easy for people to build once and have it recognized by all the different mediums? That, that I think, is a big challenge as well. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, as um, discussed in the book, the tool sets are really where all of the work is going to be done. I mean, they, we've relied on people to create multiple forms of content forever, right? And, and we all know it's a giant pain to do that. It's just, and sometimes we just don't even have enough time, even if we have the talent, just don't have enough time. So for example, we could take this podcast in the not too distant future. Uh, you can use it as just audio only, or you can get the, the transcript. You can have that transcript translated into however many dozens of languages instantly. You can have this turned into, um, let's say, a visual presentation just by the topics that we're talking about being auto-pulled in by some um, AI and machine learning programs. So there are things that we know are possible, but the tool sets have just not been updated yet. And that's where we're getting to right now, is being able to have these um, AI-assisted authoring tools that will do a lot of the heavy lifting for you whether it's for you know uh, creating educational plans, right? So a teacher is preparing a plan on physics. You know they can do what they normally do, 
But in the course of doing that, the tool that they're using will actually pull in a whole bunch of other information and create different forms of that so the students can either listen to the lecture or see the lecture or you know, experience it even in a virtual reality or mixed reality environment. That's really exciting. And, and to your point, we actually use an AI subscription service to transcribe all of these episodes. And then we actually have a, a person go through and, and pick out all the quotes and you know do that. But we're using like five different uh, SaaS-based services to take the podcast interview, to transcribe it, to create it into a little video that's like a video header, and then make it available as a blog post, make it available. I never thought of different languages as well, but yeah. This is something that we're already doing and we didn't even think about it. We're just like, how do we maximize the, the content? Yeah, so, so the service that we're using, you and I are using right now to record this conversation can easily be adapted to generate all of those different forms. It's just a matter of the tool manufacturer, you know, the, the service provider took in all together. I mean, all, all the tech exists. It's just in different places. Well, and that's, it's interesting you say that because... Our, our new business model, and we've, we've been working on this for about six months trying to figure it out, is actually to build a centralized uh, hub that allows all the different startups to tap into one central hub, standardize their product offerings to a certain level that is commensurate with doing business with corporates. And then that way, they can do business with corporates without having to pitch everybody and you have one centralized platform for learning. And any technology that's invented as we move forward, whether it's AI or VR or XR, whatever it is, can just plug right into this platform. And that way, companies don't have to be constantly on the lookout for new technology. They have one platform with all the new technology always there. And it's almost like uh, you know an Amazon model where we take a you know small percentage and, and go from there. But the idea with that is that we couldn't possibly build, even if it was just 360 video, if we just focus on 360 video, you couldn't possibly build all the tools necessary to deliver that and keep it future relevant. Mm -hmm. So by building the platform by which other startups, other smarter people around the world who are constantly developing new tools can plug into, I think that will future-proof learning for the long time, for the long term. Yeah, it's always great to put a platform together where you're building on uh, the amazing work of other people. And and certainly something that um, has shown um, its value in lots of different applications. You know, like just take the XR space. I mean, look at how many people have now banded together, you know, to try to get some standardization, right? Whether it's in the, the tooling or in the playback. Open XR. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the way to go. It's difficult to get this stuff to go quickly because when you're, you know, I've built tools for a very long time. When you're building tools, you're trying to add the next most relevant thing for your customers. And as you described very well, this is a big investment, right? To create a better platform that's more powerful to be able to have things plug in to do this auto generation, but it will happen. It's so obvious that that's the missing piece for what we've been trying to do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I just kept thinking, how can we possibly build all the tools that are going to be needed for learning. It's impossible. You break your brain on it. You're going, okay, well this, you end up just crying in the corner, shaking a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you, you know, everybody, you know, every entrepreneur and and everyone, you know, in any size company who wants, you know, has big dreams like this and really wants to make it happen, realizes very quickly that you've got to call on the community, right. And do it at that level. So I'm sure that you'll have a lot of success in pulling people together for that reason, because it, it is um, the next big thing for us to work on. And for me, 
throughout the book, I'm, I'm just trying to show people that there's more to it than this, that things are actually going to invert. So we will no longer be spending all of our time on the tools, right? Because right now, you and I and everybody else spends an inordinate amount of time on our tooling, whether that's Twitter or Word or, you know, After Effects, um, you know, or Pro Tools, like whatever it is you're using. People spend so much time in the creation phase and, you know, we can help so much. You know, there's so much more to be done from the tool side to help you create even more forms. And then on the playback side, you know, the playback mechanisms, as we talked about earlier, will get so smart that they'll realize what the best form, what the best medium is to communicate to you at that particular time. Yeah. And, and I think one of the points that you make is uh, making things contextually relevant, you know, meaning when you're when you're looking at a space, you know, the, the data that you require and, in, you know, if we fast forward maybe 10 years, let, let's take 10 years out, you know, put our crazy hats on and look out 10 years, we should be able to just think something in it and the information appears to us. You know, we shouldn't even have to talk to it. It should just appear as we need it in context. There's a list which, of things. Which is, which is exactly how your brain works today, right? Yeah. So like, like we already know how to do that. And that's sort of my point too, is we're trying to build um, mechanisms for people to create things in the way that's convenient for us, the tool builder, not in the way that's convenient for people. And, and as an industry, experienced designers have gotten better and better over the last decade at trying to make things more natural. That's where a lot of the great work with Alexa and Siri and Cortana and those types of agents have come from. And, and we, we will close that gap. And I don't think it'll be 10 years, but you're right. At a certain point, you will be able to conjure whatever the information is, you know, whether by thinking or by speaking or by gesturing, and it won't be as difficult as it is today. It is difficult today. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. You, you get a HoloLens on, it's great. And when I have to point at something and click it in a certain way, and as we move to eye tracking, I think that, that will add a whole new element. Being able to collect millions of people's uh, information about their eye tracking, what they're looking at, you know, that will create this contextual loop of information, meaning we, we collect the information, we study what people were actually looking for, because of course, it's going to make mistakes when you ask for directions to X, and it gives you directions to Y. And then of course, it gets corrected. So it's kind of like autonomous vehicles in a way that when one car gets in an accident, every car learns to get better. And I tried to explain this to my brother, and he, he couldn't believe me that in within five years, we'll have, you know, long uh, transport trucks on the road that just drive themselves and don't have anybody driving because I said, look, every time a, a car gets in an accident, you know, with a person driving, nobody gets smarter, nobody gets better. That person, you know, just goes, oh shit, I got an accident. Mm -hmm. But when an autonomous vehicle gets in an accident, every single car in the fleet gets updated with new information on how to prevent that from happening again. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the new network effect, right? You know, so we saw that first with Moore's Law, right, with, you know, hardware and, and electronics. Now we saw with, you know, social media groups growing and the power of, of social. But now you're right. With uh, these networks, you know, the interconnected neural networks that are always learning, the machine learning algorithms always running in the background, we are able to get smarter all the time to everyone's benefit. And the same holds true for information, whether it's for education or uh, in the enterprise that kind of stuff is super exciting because all of a sudden something that you know was in isolation is now connected and not only is it connected it's getting better or more correct uh, or more accurate or more clear 
by the network effect. Absolutely. And, and it's every day improving. I'm actually speaking with one of your colleagues, Dan Ayub from Microsoft Education at, at the Orlando Science Center. And we're talking about how extended reality or XR is transforming education and training globally. The work that you you guys are doing in the garage, you're probably working on things that won't see the light of day or may, may never see the light of day, but they're building foundations for things that will come in five, 10 years. So what does your roadmap look like as far as everybody wants to know, what are we, what are we going to do in kind of the three, five, 10 year roadmap, 15, uh, if you can look out that far, but what does your roadmap look like as far as when will we wear glasses? How will they work? How will it all work together? Where do you see this going in the next kind of five to 10? Yeah, well, certainly, you know, all the trends that we see now will accelerate, you know, so I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, how Ray Kurzweil studies uh, the acceleration of, you know, of our technology trends. And so I do think everything that you notice today will be sort of uh, perfected, you know, within the next few years, meaning we will be able to have multi-experience or multi-person experiences that are um, seamless, right, and just feel right. Uh, whether it's glasses or headsets or earbuds, you know, or some new type of mobile, like whether it's a watch or some kind of other wearable device, the technology, just as it always has, will continue to get smaller, be more embedded. I do think that we are going to get to a point very quickly where the wearable aspect of things will become more important. So right now, we carry our laptops, we carry our mobile devices you know, we carry our, you know, headsets even for that matter. And we will sort of cross over to the point where it becomes a more normal and regular part of our wardrobe, like the, the kinds of things that we will always have with us. So I think that's... Yeah, I have a pair of North glasses actually, and they're pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, just imagine, you know, there's there's lots of people. It's interesting. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about Apple Watch. And um, I, I think it's great. You know, it's like a nice piece of work. It's created an interesting side effect, which is, you know how when you're in a meeting and someone pull or at the dinner table for that matter, and someone pulls out their phone and they start futzing with it and you're, you're sort of put off by that. It sucks. Stop doing that. It's a pain in the ass because you're disconnecting from the conversation you're in. Sorry. Right. Well, it's right. So, right. So the same thing is now the same thing that happened with phones is now happening with watches. So people in meetings are messing with their watch, you know, disengaging from the conversation you know, and now, of course, they're getting a gazillion text messages. You can make phone calls from your watch. So, you know, great. It's great tech, but it's created a social side effect that was unintended, perhaps, and maybe misunderstood. And that will keep happening, right? Keep happening with whether it's glasses or, you know, your shirt um, you know, or you know, whatever that might be, like a bracelet, whatever that, that device is that we will use to create and communicate and stay in touch if we don't get better at what we talked about earlier, which is the interaction with other people, right? So we have to make it feel like you're interacting with a person so it's more natural to the people around you. And that's the other part of the equation. It's one thing to interact naturally with your phone, watch, glasses, whatever, but it's another, as you talked about, to be doing that with other people around you. And that's where we as experienced designers have to get better at taking that into account, right? We have the sensors. We can tell that there's other people around. We can tell where you are. We can tell if you're moving or stationary. It's all those factors that we sort of pull in. But we really need to understand the context better. And I talk about that a lot in the book too, where it's not enough 
to be good at communicating clearly or to get you the right information, it's within the current context, meaning there's other people around that you're bothering, you know, or, or not paying attention to or have disengaged from. And that's a, a huge uh, sort of area for us to explore and get right as we go into this, you know, as you're talking about the next three to five years, that's where we've like really fallen down. And, and we have to figure that out. You know, what's really interesting is North just pushed an update and the glasses recognize conversation and won't show you unless you click the ring. They won't show you notifications when you're having a conversation with somebody. That's great. You know, and there's two sides to that. Well, I wish you did tell me that this is not actually the person I thought that it was, right? You know, like I love that sci-fi scenario where, you know, your glasses tell you who you're talking to. We have to get that balance right. It's like, it's good. Like, that sounds fantastic that they realize, you know what, I should be present when someone's talking to me or I'm in a group of people. That's fantastic. But there is always more to that. Maybe maybe I did actually just call that person the wrong name and maybe my glasses could tell me that that's not actually their name. Yeah, I think, you know, the North glasses, they figured out my, my daughter's, uh, well, she was 14, but when I showed her them, she said, these are really beautiful. They get, a, you know, an eight out of 10 for fashion but a two out of 10 for function because the, the field of view is so small at 15 degrees and, you know, she had to wiggle them around to get them to work. And really at the time that she tried it, you could only check your messages in the weather. Um, now there's, you know, you can change your Spotify and you can order an Uber and there's all sorts of things you can do now, but from the mouth of babes is very, very important to listen to because they got the form factor, right? I mean, there are a pair of glasses that are light and they sit on my head and they look great but they have very limited functionality. Yeah, that's another um, fun thing that I think you'll get to in the book is when I talk about our desire as designers and technologists sometimes to be um, clearly beautiful first <laughs> rather than being beautifully clear. Yeah. You know, so, right, you know, as, your, as your daughter said, right, I mean, like, come on, you know, fashion first, right? Like, it's got to look good. You know, want to be wearing something that looks like a pair of ski goggles on your head. Um, but the way that we go about that is we have to have the other part. It has to be functionally, as she said, functionally there. But it does need to be appealing, right? It does need to be something that we want to either wear or uh, possess or interact with. And there's a balance always. Yeah, I think Snapchat's done a good job with their camera glasses. The first pairs, there was a huge demand. They, you know, they got this pent-up demand. And now they've come out with a new pair that are even sleeker looking. They're always looking for the forward fashion. But mm -hmm. to your point at the beginning is when it's just a pair of Ray-Bans that I can just buy off the shelf and they just have this capabilities built into them. And then you can buy any frame you want off the shelf that fits your face, not just two designs or one design and that may look great on somebody else, but maybe not on me. I, I like my North glasses, but... I don't wear glasses. On yeah, you don't, you don't have to be a futurist to predict that that will happen before too long, right? I mean, everything's getting faster and cheaper and smaller. It always does. And it will continue in this particular industry. And so we will get to that, you know, very sleek, you know, uh, piece of eyewear or watch or bracelet or necklace or whatever the case may be. That will happen before too long. Have you tried the N-Real glasses? No, I, I missed those when I was at um, South by they're really good. Um, big field of view, lightweight. They've offloaded the processing power to a phone, I guess. They, they can wire it through USB-C. But the form factor is like a pair of glasses. And if you're walking down the street and you saw somebody wearing them, you wouldn't actually know that they were AR glasses. Very similar to the North. They're just very incognito. 
Um, the only difference is they have, you know, a huge field of view compared to, you know, the North classes and, yeah. and they have absolutely no apps or anything available. So, you know, it's more of a developer kit and trying to get that. But I yeah. think that's where Apple and Google um, and even Facebook have a massive advantage over companies, even like Magic Leap with 3 billion plus in funding, they don't have the developer ecosystem. Uh, and I think that's where Apple is really going to shine because, you know, they've introduced AR kit and Google's introduced AR core. And in my opinion, those are the training wheels to true spatial computing. Well, let's, let's not forget about Microsoft and our incredible uh, developer community and all the great work that's been happening with mixed reality and, and the HoloLens development kits, uh, especially, you know, when you look at our focus on the enterprise, I mean, we've gotten very serious about business you know, and applying this technology to people, uh, you know, getting their jobs done more efficiently. And I think that there's huge inroads that have been made. And so something to keep an eye on, especially for your interest in the enterprise and what XR is, is doing, uh, Microsoft Dynamics Group is doing amazing work and delivering some very, very useful software for the enterprise. But this, this like brings up another like interesting point for you to think about. So imagine whether it's for education or, or for the enterprise, imagine um, a room full of people, whether it's a classroom of 30 kids or 300 you know, at a lecture, all having whatever watches, glasses, and they're all basically immersed. Like, what is that like? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in a business meeting in a conference room with six people or you know, there's two of you and three or four other people are remote and everybody is using a different type of immersion, you know, a different type of augmented reality or mixed reality. What does that feel like? And so that's where we spend some time thinking about that type of interaction and, and what's the value prop and what is the experience of being there, you know, and having to deal with so many people having so much at their disposal. You know, what does that do to the dynamics of our normal conversation? I think, you know, I had the opportunity, well, I was one of the first people to buy a, a HoloLens and I got to try the HoloLens too and hands down, a amazing device. But what I really found intriguing about the HoloLens is that they moved it from the devices department to the cloud compute. And when they did that, it it, it allowed me to kind of see the vision for, for Microsoft as, as using these devices in the future because it's no longer about just building a device that, you know, that's cool. It's this is a tool that runs on the cloud that is bringing real enterprise value now and that is connected to the entire Microsoft ecosystem. And that I think is really powerful because, and that's one of the problems that I see with the other headsets that, you know, you put them on and they're great and you got like 10 demos and that that's cool. And every single one has the same problem. People go through the demo, they go, that's cool. And they put it down, never put it back on. I've seen it time and time and again. We've done thousands of demos for people and it's the same thing. You put it on, they look around, they go, oh, this is cool. They experience it. They take it off and they never want to put it on again. They don't, they don't say, hey, what else can I do? And I think we need to kind of bridge that gap. Whereas the, the path that Microsoft took with the HoloLens was we don't really care about cool. You know, I mean, the first thing I saw was this aliens blasting through the walls, which was neat and it got my attention. But really what it's premised on now is the ROI-driven results. And I think that's really the exciting part about this when you can go into a company and say, hey, by using this technology in this way, you will save or make this much money. Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen this firsthand like every day. The, The people who want VR or MR or AR 
to become mainstream, you know, that are sort of fixated on, you know, when are the, the sales numbers going to be up? When are we going to break through into mainstream? They're sort of missing the point that these devices and this technology is incredibly useful in its current form for very particular tasks. And it's that specialized nature that is its true advantage right now. Someone made a great analogy for me a couple of years ago. They said, we don't even think twice when we see someone wearing a welder's mask, right? We know exactly what they're doing and why, why they're wearing a welder's mask. And in a similar way, that's the value, right, of using these headsets right now is they're very particular specialized tasks that they are incredibly useful for. And that's what we should be thinking about and not fretting because they haven't broken into 500 million sales, right? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that's more of a, a VC investor mentality. Well, mm -hmm. but it's also it's also the industry itself. There are many people who get down on you know VR, whether it's the media or you know the people who are actually building these things, because they're not uh, in some cases breakout you know huge number of successes. Yet the value they provide are more than paying for the investment in these types of um, scenarios. And I'm sure you see this with your uh, clients and people you deal with all the time in the enterprise. Absolutely. And in, at the end of the day, we, we started doing marketing things uh, because uh, at the beginning, you know, you'd go into a meeting and they'd say, okay, well, who's done it before? Uh, how much does it cost? And what was the ROI? And you're like, nobody, a lot. And we have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> Don't want to spend a million bucks. And, you yeah. know, yeah. It was a really hard sell. And now when we go in and have these conversations, it's a totally different conversation. We go in, we do a quick demo, and then it's about how we can drive real measurable ROI, measuring the, the key performance indicators against what you're traditionally using. So we'll set a benchmark and then we'll use VR and AR to deliver results. And then we'll compare the two. And then based on those, you can either move forward or, or not. But you know, everybody moves forward because the results are ridiculously awesome yeah especially in the in education you know where you're sort of focused right now is so dramatic right and i'm sure that the kpis will bear all this out over time but you can just tell immediately like if someone asks you like what, what are the numbers around roi you ask a student that's tried this and that's what they need to know absolutely so what are the most important things that businesses can do right now to kind of start leveraging the power of XR? I mean, you're already seeing it across you know, many enterprises, but let's say it's a small or medium-sized business that wants to start getting into this. Uh, what's the most important thing businesses can do right now to leverage this power of this technology? Yeah, uh, in the book, there's a chapter about surfacing the invisible, which I think is one of the key um, benefits of any type of XR technology. There's so much under the surface that we never get to see uh, and so I think any size business, small, medium business or large enterprises can use uh, the power of XR, you know, both AI and XR together to surface these things that people don't normally see, whether that's value, functionality, additional information, levels of detail. There's all the obvious things that people always talk about. You know, you can use augmented reality to show off um, interesting facets of your, you know, of your product or service in the sales cycle, certainly. But there's more to it. You know, if you sort of flip it over and look at how you run your business, there is so much to be unlocked. You know, our businesses are complicated, whether they're small, you know, a family owned business or you know, medium sized corporation or, you know, a global company. We all have so much complexity, you know, and there's so much going on. Being able to visualize, you know, that's one of the key things that I work on is being able to visualize complex systems, um, processes 
being able to show people things that we know, like we, we form our own mental models and we sort of know how they work, but this technology helps us see it and, uh, and for that matter, be in it in a way that we've never been able to do before. You talked about um, painting in 3D earlier in the podcast, right? That is just mind-blowing to any designer or artist, <laughs> right? Being really able is. to, yeah, it's like completely life-changing. There are very similar types of experiences in the enterprise when you can visualize how your process is really working or how your sales cycle is not working or how your, you know, your manufacturing business could be so much better if it were to be this way. People do this in Excel spreadsheets today. They do it in PowerPoint. They do it in you know, conversation. But rarely do you get to actually visualize and experience with other people how this could really be different. You know, so you can play the what if, you can simulate, you can do um, all kinds of forecasting. You know, so things that we all do in our minds today are now able to be seen and experienced through XR. And the enterprise, you know, or small business is a great place to do that. Certainly, like no question, there's easy wins on the sales and marketing side. But for me, and possibly for you, the more interesting part is how we run our businesses. Absolutely. I, I have one more quote I want to read from your book, and I think uh, this is sums it up. Through the combination of artificial intelligence, spatial computing, and human ingenuity, we have the perfect storm of elements to create the most compelling immersive storytelling tool for the informational aspects of our biggest global challenges. Let's all do our part to learn how to best utilize these new approaches and technologies to tell these stories of hope and change before it's too late. And make no mistake, the hour is getting late. Amen. I think we're going to end this this conversation on a high note. The world is on fire. We know that. We've done unspeakable things to our planet. We are still kind of worried about U.S. versus China versus Brazil. Who gives a shit? We're all on this planet. It's on fire. Let's fix it as humanity and figure it out together. There's enough wealth. We need to use these technologies to foster new innovations that can stave off our existential risk of humanity. Yeah, it, it's clear to me and I think anybody else that we do need to get mobilized to tell the story more clearly. You know, regardless of where your politics or your beliefs may be, there are some important things that we need to communicate more clearly than we ever have because once people realize that you know we can do something about it, they will. And I, I think that the you know, the kids that they call, um, you know, the, the Gen Y, Gen Z, um, they're doers, right? They want to fix the world. They want to really focus on this. And they will be the ones who probably use this technology in the best possible way uh, to go save the planet. Amen. I have nothing else to say to that, my friend. Mike, it has been an absolute honor speaking with you today. If, you, uh, if you're still listening to this podcast, um, thanks for listening this far. The book is The Age of Smart Information, How Artificial Intelligence and Spatial Computing Will Transform the Way We Communicate Forever. If you're going to do anything in this industry, this book is a must read and I highly recommend it. Go get it on Amazon or you can go to theageofsmartinformation.com. And if you want to learn more about Mike, you can visit futuristic.com or you can Google the Microsoft Garage for all the cool, crazy things they're making to make our world better in the future. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you, Alan. Take care.
Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game, and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.